What? Nothing. I'm just letting some dead air go. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Oh, God, please start with this. Okay. <laughs> 20,000 feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors. And I ain't seen no ceilings. You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, PhD, and our feminism, pop culture, and politics as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. <laughs> <laughs> and today, we'll be interviewing Alex Hanna, a transgender professor at the University of Toronto, to discuss being a trans academic, specifically her experience on the job market, and also some things about Alex's research and wherever else the conversation takes us. But first, Melody, where can our listeners find us on the World Wide Web? We're having a good time today recording this we one. Are. Um, you can find <laughs> us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. It's really helpful to get new followers. Um, you can find us. We have an Instagram account, Facebook, Twitter. We're on all the social meds or social, as the uh, media industry likes to call it. Um, also, mm -hmm. Rachel's put together an awesome Feminist Killjoys PhD mixtape on Spotify. So you, if you're in 2016, you can join her there. Um, and if you have any extra money and want to support f feminist media laborers, you can always donate to us at our website. Thank you to those who donated this week. We got a few more dollars coming in. So thank you. And also we have a Patreon account if you want to set up a monthly donation. And as always, you can email me at uh, fkj.phd at gmail.com. And I will respond swiftly. Um... So, uh, like Rachel said, we're gonna we're gonna talk with Alex today. Just be before we go um, over to her, I just wanted to make a note about last week. I didn't leave enough time to talk about the Dakota Access Pipeline in enough detail, and I feel um, bad about that because Native American activism also often gets the short end of the stick, um, especially now where a lot of the focus is on Black activism. And I just wanted to apologize for that and that um, I really should have planned to maybe start the show with the Dakota Access Pipeline so we could talk about it in more detail. And so I did not mean any offense to the Native American community for that, um, but that was totally my bad and I apologize. And next week when we have kind of our own show um, without a guest, we will definitely dig deeper into that issue. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to just give a shout out to is someone... Um, Based on our episode last week, we were talking about sex offender lists, and we were kind of like, what, what is the point of them? And a victim of sexual assault um, contacted us and told us that they found the list to be very helpful. It like was part of the um, healing process for them, and we wanted to acknowledge that that is uh, you know, an important part of the sex offender list, and so we wanted to share that viewpoint as well. So that's our little accountability like editor section. <laughs> of the mm -hmm. episode today. Great. Thank you for uh, helping us be accountable to that listeners and Melody. Uh, great. Well, I'm so excited for this interview. Uh, we will introduce Alex when uh, she's on the call with us. And without further ado, we're going to hop to that. <laughs>
Okay, we are back uh, with the magic of podcast editing. We have with us our guest for today, Dr. Alex Hanna. But before we talk uh, with Alex, we just wanted to do a gender pronoun go around. um, And this will become clear why it's so important to do this um, with our discussion today. Um, But I'll start. Um, I'm Melody and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Rachel and I use she, her pronouns. And I'm Alex. I also use she, her pronouns. Cool. Thank you. Um, So, yeah, we're so excited. Uh, Dr. Alex Hanna is an assistant professor in the Institute of Communication, Culture, Information, and Technology and the Faculty of Information at the University of Toronto. Uh, She received her PhD in sociology from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and her research agenda focuses on how new and social media has changed social movement mobilization and political participation. So awesome. Dang. Yeah. I cannot. I mean, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Very impressive. Why is that it? Um, So, but um, Alex also wrote an article for Inside Higher Ed that was just published, um, God, like a month and a half ago, um, titled The Challenge of Being Transgender on the Job Market, in which she describes some egregious ignorance and transphobia from people who are supposed to be among the most informed in our society. Um. So yeah, we'll yeah. talk with her about that. Well, it's definitely obviously linked to that article. It's really important and infuriating in a lot of ways and all the things. Um, so we want to talk to Alex about that experience, particularly things she learned and perhaps some advice she might be able to give other trans academics on the job market. I know uh, my partner is a trans man and he's had to navigate even you know dealing with cover letters like to disclose mm-hmm. or not. So things like that come up right away for uh you know, trans folks and, and other marginalized uh, identities when you're trying to to get a job. And um, also we wanted to use this opportunity to try to help teach cis people uh, how to be uh, better allies when you're running interviews or being a coworker um, and just to generally try to fuck up less. So that's our goal for today. Um, but before we get into all that, Alex, your research sounds so cool. Can you tell us more about your work or like something, you know, you can give us your dissertation elevator speech or maybe something new that you're working on and for, that you're planning next. But I know we're, we're all about social movement mobilization. So we'd love to hear your thoughts. Sure. So the dissertation elevator speech is basically um, how we can get um, information on protest events more quickly. Uh, so a linchpin kind of analysis of social movement scholarship is protest event analysis. And what that entails is you have these data about protests. This is kind of the who, what, when, where, why of a protest event. Um, like what groups are there, what issue they were working on, on um, what organizations were involved where it was, what, what what they were actually doing, what was the form of the protest. Mm-hmm. And this could be used in any kind of way, like seeing what leads to actually being able to mobilize people or um, what kinds of protests um, tend to have certain kinds of outcomes. Mm-hmm. And the problem with this, these analyses, they tend to come from newspapers because newspapers are just the most consistent um, for reporting them, we know that there's a lot of issues with using newspapers, but they are public, mostly in the public record, and we can retrieve them um, relatively easily compared to other methods. Um, but usually this has to be done by hand, 
um, in, in terms of actually coding the newspapers. Mm-hmm. So we have to like have a bunch of um, research assistants go through the newspapers, write down a bunch of information. And so my dissertation um, is a system which builds a way to do this using methods from computer science and statistics, um, using some machine learning and natural language processing methods to extract all these information. And this has the effect of um, speeding up this process and also um, uh, being able to adjust more newspapers. So you're not only looking at the New York Times, but you could look at like the New York Times and protest like newspapers that might talk about protests are more local. Um, mm-hmm. And also you can look at local um, alternative presses and sometimes even activist presses if you if you're able to. So um, that's just the elevator speech of what I'm doing now. Been working on some offshoot projects with um, my advisor and. Um, uh, a colleague at, at Toronto um, focusing on um, black protests and recent black, recent anti-racist protests uh, on um, U.S. and Canadian campuses and also um, kind of a longer-term look at black protests and the decline of black protests and how that is potentially tied to increasing rates of incarceration and, hmm. and policing of, of black folks. Hmm. So in terms of the protests themselves, getting more people behind bars, you mean? Yeah. Uh, mm. uh, the work, my, my advisor has done previous work that's focused on um, the idea that mass incarceration and, and racial disparities in policing are a form of political repression. Um, and we think about this often in like non-U.S. context. It's like repression, you're putting a lot of people in jail, but if you're targeting this specific ethnic minority in the U.S., um, this is very potentially a place where um, political power has been taken because you're literally just taking people and jailing them or they're in mm-hmm. the criminal justice system. And so that like is a form of oppression insofar as it uh, you are like destroying political capacity. Right. I mean, absolutely, and that's obviously a, a historical tactic that's been used for yeah. people that they think are leaders in, in different movements. For sh- yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, that's super important work, and um, it's it's really cool to see your combination of like tech and social movement stuff, and that's that's awesome. So Thanks. I had a I had a question. Um, are you looking at? the ways in which Twitter is being used by social movements, or are you just keeping your analyses embedded in newspapers for right now? So that's uh, a good question. Twitter, um, I think uh, the kind of sourcing of information about the events themselves, uh, I focus only on newspapers just because newspapers tend to have more formal kinds of writing, and that's Mm -hmm. important for the methods I use because you can kind of uh, use the same sort of methods over many different sources, whereas Twitter has different types of informality. Um, it's, there's a lot of shorthand. Um, the, the kind of norms of Twitter also change, possibly between movements mm-hmm. and definitely locations and languages. Mm-hmm. So Twitter, I see as more of a use. Is it, it, you, when I focus on Twitter and other social media, it tends to be on uh, case st- 
studies. And so I've done work, for instance, on Facebook and looking at how a social movement in Egypt in 2008 used Facebook to mobilize. And so looking at that, uh, the intent of it, it's a bit harder to do that on a um, kind of a field level, like let's say all movements that are mentioned in English language media when you're looking at social media. That's why this system, uh, which is called the Machine Learning Purchased Event Data System, or MPEDS, operates primarily on newspapers. Okay, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Do you worry, I have one follow-up question about the data collection. Mm -hmm. Do you worry that it's that um, since you're creating this new way of collecting, you know, a lot of data from newspapers, and then obviously you make, you have findings and analyses, like, um, do you worry that, like, this is going to subtly give information to the police or people that might be trying to track protesters or am I getting too conspiracy theory on you? No, that's, 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 that's pretty legit. That's, you know, and I've had a number of people raise that concern. I think that's a critical concern. Um, I would say a lot of the, for what police and other types of um, policing organizations are concerned with, I think they tend to, um, I mean, they, they, they have a lot of these data. They have their own systems that focus mm-hmm. on this. Um, and they're usually not interested in the same thing social movement scholars are. Like, they don't really care if a dissident is, like, fighting for racial equality or a gender-based movement. Like, it, and they don't really care, like, if they are... Um, like having a rally or uh, or compared to like a sit-in. And those distinctions are important for social movement scholarship because we think a lot about how things lead to mobilization and what this kind of larger um, social movement field is. Uh, and I think on a, on a policing perspective, they tend to be focused like there is some dissidents and they like concern these sets of like actors that may be like considered a challenge to the state. Um, and it tends to be pretty sparse data. Um, so they're interested in that stuff. That stuff exists, and there are companies that work on that stuff. Um, my intent of this system was for social movement scholars to study and have good data um, that contains variables that they're interested in. Cool. All right. Well, I'd yeah, love to do uh, this whole episode on your research, but um, <laughs> we're also here <laughs> to talk about um, kind of your experiences being transgender on the job market in academia. Um, and I know some of our audience is in the trenches of academia, you know, um, but others are on the peripheries or not in academia at all. Um, but we were really interested in hearing more about your um, experience on the job market in which you wrote um in inside higher ed the article for um so would you mind just kind of you know verbalizing some of the some of the issues you raised in that article yes for sure okay so i did the job market two for two years and i did kind of a more limited market my first year and that was starting 2014 to 2015 and did it again uh, this past year. So, um, 
to the job market, and, and, and Rachel mentioned this at the outset. I mean, it just it can start as soon as you have your materials, um, especially for folks who are had transitioned in grad school, like I transitioned in grad school, or they, um, um, or any kind of other of circumstances. Um, you, even writing in your cover letter or disclosing, you have to make the decision, should I disclose if I'm trans or not? Um, will this hurt me or help me? Um, and in not many situations is it going to help you? Uh, and and um, so it, it, just thinking about this in kind of the statements. And then uh, because it's an j- academic job market, you need referees, you need letters of, of reference. And um, you also have, those, have to have those letters um just people who are writing those letters for you to not censor you because that's really shitty if they do. Mm-hmm. And um, and if they're old references or people you haven't seen in several years and maybe they didn't know you transitioned or they and they like you know can can mess can mess that up. Um, and then having an advisor that is also someone who's going to respect pronouns or name changes um, is, is also critical. Um, also having a CV that has things written on it that may, may not have your new name on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of folks who kind of sidestep this by changing their CVs to APA format and, and tend to mm. choose, choose, <laughs> choose names who that start with the same letter as mm-hmm. their, their other name. So yeah. they're kind of abbreviated, I, and that's something I, I, I did. Um, and so, and, and like, this is all, like, you know, you haven't even hit the interview yet. This is just, like, mm-hmm. the lead-up and getting all the materials and having it um, organized in such a way where you're presenting yourself as this, this person. And, um, and so the way I handled it, I had a very... Uh, helpful advisor and very helpful um, great writers who respected those pronouns and and and, and changed them in their letters um, but I definitely know that's not the case and especially after I read this article have heard many horror stories from other um, trans academics and their ability to change jobs or get new jobs and the kind of fight that fights that they they've had to face and so just it's already it's just out of out of out of one's control um so then it kind of moves on because the job market consists of not only materials but there's also the hustle that you have to do at conferences um i know the american sociological association you go to conferences and there's this weird dating service you can sign up for (laughs) where you like sit with a person for like 10 minutes or 20 minutes or something from a university and then they like play this gong sound and then you have to like change the table <laughs> like it's really like it's really bizarre I did it my first year and it was just not very helpful um, and then well, and then there's lots of informal meetings but I know that many organizations including um, I believe MLA and um, and the, uh, uh, the communications one of the communications organizations have their own like similar setups where you, you have arranged meetings with potential employers. 
Yeah, we're it's, both in comm, so we've yeah, yeah had that. Yeah, we've never yeah. had the gong thing, but yeah, no. dating, but but there's like like career fairs basically, and you right, get right. shuffled through tables. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I mean that's that's the experiment ex- experience that so many of these places have. So I mean, you're going to conferences, and conferences already can be pretty intimidating. You have to do this, a lot of networking type stuff, and um, being there as a trans person can. Um, raise a whole other host of issues of just being at the conference, possibly being the only trans person that you know of at the conference, or at least the only out trans person. In the article, I wrote about how, as far as I know, I was probably the only trans woman at uh, ASA when I went um, uh, last year. And uh, it's it's a and, and ASA has been working to do things like having gender-neutral bathrooms available and, um, and and such and such. And I, like, was tweeting about it'd be cool if there was pronouns on, on name cars and stuff and normalizing mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's still, like, a pretty, um, be pretty intense sort of thing. Uh, so, you know, these are the, like, the, the things. You're not even, like, on the visit yet. Right. Um, I'm gonna. Uh, I'll just stop there, and we can talk, and you can ask some questions. I've been talking a long time. Well, yeah, no, I mean, all of that is. I mean, just thinking about for for any of the listeners who have not experienced the academic job market, like it is such a draining and daunting and demoralizing and awful experience for anyone. And to just think about, like. Basically, what you're describing is this like constant re coming out and re, you know, establishing yourself, which mm-hmm. I mean, the emotional labor of that on top of the emotional labor of, uh, you know, cis folks. I mean, I just it's it's a lot. <laughs> that would be a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at conferences, too, I just I've just started to like add my gender pronouns if they're not going to give us space to do that, you know. And I think it's mm-hmm. just one of those steps that can help normalize that, you know, like you mentioned, the all gender bathrooms thing, it's like starting and, you know, there's a long way to go, I think, you know, but I've just taken it upon myself to kind of do some of that work. Uh, um, um, and people will be like, oh, that's cool that you did that. And then I'm like, well, you, you can also do that and you can encourage the conference to add in the pronoun, you know, portion of the name tag. Um, because mm-hmm. I think just normalizing that stuff, then it like, and I feel like, well, Alex, I did have a question for you. Um, do you find it to be like a generational issue? Um, like when you have unfortunate run-ins with people, like, is it with an older generation? Because I'm just going to say like, I, there's, because I'm in the queer community, like, it's just not a thing, you know, it's just such a part of my everyday that sometimes it's hard for me to understand like how people can't like get with the program you know um so i was just curious if you if you wouldn't mind like yeah if you've noticed like a generational thing or if it's all across the board uh it depends i don't want to paint you know um older generations with a broad brush or uh, anything i mean there's definitely definitely been um you know a lot of uh, older scholars who've been um, really awesome 
And I, I think it has a lot to do with, as you said, Melody, the kind of communities you're, you're kind of in. Mm-hmm. Um, if people are used to it, if people, uh, you know, because I think, I mean, even within queer communities, there's definitely, um, there's definitely a bunch of old school second wave feminists who, you know, want to trip over trans stuff and True. like, and that and that exists, and you know, they will like, you know, not acknowledge pronouns or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, you don't. I haven't faced that at least in person within my discipline, but I know I've heard from other people that it exists, and. You know, I think it just, I mean, it has to do with familiarity. I, I think most people, or at least most scholars, aren't um, aren't, host, aren't hostile to talking about pronouns and, and, and talking about names and what, you do, what to do if, you know, someone comes out and doesn't, you know, is not publicly out or, you know, who that information uh, should go to or if you can refer to this person by their past name um, and that knowledge is uh, is, is very much uh, um, lumpy and uh, I mean it, it definitely is I think more on uh, there's a more of a, there's a higher probability of people who just kind of are privileged and are oblivious to that privilege are probably gonna mess up more or not make an effort. Um, mm-hmm. In the article, for instance, I talk about this search chair who is also the department chair. Um, I think I call him George. And, and it, you know, this is an older white man who has been at this university um, in, you know, for so many years. And, um, you know, and, and in many other ways had been very, uh, um, seemed like he wasn't really uh, thinking about a lot of different things and a lot of elements of privilege. Uh, for instance, I just was thinking about this when I was chatting with someone else. I had a torn Achilles uh, in my right foot and... I didn't really know it was torn yet, Ugh. but I was still walking on it. And these shoes that were kind of like heels, they had a heel on them. And it was really, you know, I was like in pain and couldn't walk quickly. And this, you know, this this guy, the search chair was walking, you know, 10 feet in front of me and, mm. and ostensibly talking with me mm-hmm. uh, about something. And, and, it, and But he was seemed just very oblivious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's, uh, I think, I mean, the general kind of, the kind of privilege that folks have and their, um, and the privileges that lead to, like, not actually listening to people, <laughs> not, not, not actually respecting um, their needs as um, someone who uh, is not only trans, but you know, also be disabled or have certain kinds of disabilities or um, uh, any any host of other kinds of accommodations that people need in this kind of situation. I mean, and it's such a, you know, as you said, Rachel, it's such an exhausting situation. I mean, it's, not, it's exhausting not only in the, 
I don't know where I'm going to live in three months. But it's, mm-hmm. also, but it's also, yeah. it's also, it's also exhausting. Just to, you're always on yep. in an interview and or in a conference, and there's the addition of like always being on, seeing professional, and um, and then having those things that you worry about. And so, like, professionalism has a very white, masculinist connotation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so nerve-wracking if you're a trans person, a person of color, a disabled person, an older person, um, like a non-traditional PhD student, to mm-hmm. try to maintain, like, tr- maintain that gravitas and show the appropriate you know deference because it's this weird this weird uh balance between deference and confidence that you have to maintain um and 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 you're doing you're balancing all these different things in a job market situation Uh, so you know in an interview where it's kind of searched here this person that has the most authority um, it's continuously, and in the article I read about this search chair, he's continuously misgendering me and um, setting the precedent so other people end up misgendering me, um, introducing me by the wrong pronouns, and all these other things. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it takes a real emotional toll. Like, I don't want to be here. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Um, and I, I want to ask. Oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mel. Um, no, go ahead. You go. <laughs> I guess um, it, Rachel and Alex, I think you probably answered this more. And I apologize. It's kind of like an ignorant question. But I think this is what really gets me is like these stories of people misgendering people after you've already given your pronouns and your name and your present, you know, like how you look for the day. Um, like what is what's behind this like constant misgendering? Do you think? Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I'm just so confused by these. I mean, I'm just like, she, her pro, like, what's, what's the, you know, because I've heard, I've, my friend who was doing work at a polling place, like, clearly femme, like, high femme, and was being misgendered, you know? And I'm just wondering if it's like a, if it's like subtle, but very overt transphobia that's coming out. And like, how do you then, I mean, I know in one of your situations, you just chose to leave, but I mean... I just, I just don't, I don't, as an accomplice, like, I just, I want to understand more, like, where this is stemming from, because it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I should just say, I mean, it shouldn't even matter if I showed up as femme, like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like, totally. I should have been able to show up in a full beard and be like, and totally. a tie and been like, what's up, you know, still she, her pronouns, you know, right. mm-hmm. you know like, it's, so, I mean, um, and on the job market, like whatever, I, I wore a suit and a shirt. Like it wasn't anything. Um, I mean, market wear, job market wear is pretty masculinizing as it is, unless mm-hmm. you like wearing a skirt and, and like overdoing it or like just going big and like. But it's not necessary. I mean, these people, I assume, read my market materials <laughs> that have my pronouns. You'd be, I mean, you'd be surprised how many people don't read market materials True. and are on the interview committee, but I, but yeah, I hear you. Anyway, go true ahead. Fact. <laughs> true facts, true facts. Um, but you at least assume that they are. Uh, uh, and, 
I, I mean, and to answer your question, Ellie, I just think like um, people just they don't flag it. They don't they don't realize what what misgendering signals. Mm. Um, if you mis you know misgendering somebody to a trans person automatically telegraphs you don't respect me enough to like get this basic shit right right um and like and i think you know the kind of thing that's hard to um that seems hard to get across is like you know like if you mess up like that's fine of course you're gonna mess up but just like say sorry um continue don't make like a big thing of it right. um just like say sorry correct yourself and like try not to mess up um you know practice with this person and it's just it, i think it's just a, a thing that um folks don't flag uh as something that is important uh, um which is frustrating yeah i mean i think you really like called it when you earlier said like the, the privilege of being able to not listen. Mm. Like, I think mm -hmm. so many people in positions of power, white, who are, you know, disproportionately white men, white, white cis men, oftentimes white cis straight men, um, they haven't had to, like, listen to people, like, for their life, like, a lot of their life, and they can just, you know, not, not take the time to really pay attention to what people are saying about themselves, and, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's completely enraging. Mm -hmm. um, I want to ask a little bit more about clothing only because I, I am a very pretty much usually high femme, but at least femme identified person and really struggled with wearing like a pantsuit because like I like skirts and I like heels and talk about like walking around on campuses. Like I was like, what shoes am I going to wear? Because because like high heels are like what I like to wear mm -hmm. and you can't do that when you're working on campus all day. But so that's just like a personal like sort of connection to the the clothing talk um, and Melody and I've had this conversation a lot. But I'm also I also wanted to bring this back to um, a book that many academics uh, have purchased the Karen. Um, what's her last name? Karen. Uh, Karen Kelsky. Yes. So she goes by the professor is in. She has a website. If you're an academic, you surely know that name. Or at least if you're an academic on the job market, you know that name. And she sort of has like a monopoly over um, <laughs> being a consultant mm -hmm. for those <laughs> the terrified grad students who are trying desperately to get a job. And so she wrote a book saying, you know, here's what you do. And I, I'm pretty sure in some... I've read somewhere she comes out. She, I think she is an out um, lesbian woman and uh, I think gives nods to, to sort of butch presentation um, mm -hmm. in the book. But I believe I remember you saying something on Facebook about how she has absolutely nothing about um, trans feminine presentation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And that, I mean, I, I love that book. Like it's a great book, but that chapter actually really infuriated me um because i just yeah like what do you do if you're a trans feminine person and what do you do if you're i mean what do you do if you're a femme person even mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i mean we know that the job market is and getting a job really in any kind of professional field is like a really like the wear is very masculinizing mm -hmm. and like suits are very 
masculine and like um yeah if you're like a butch lesbian or a butch cis woman yeah like okay wearing a pants pantsuit and like a bow tie is like you know that that acceptable that, that that's acceptable but like right. if you want to wear shirts and and heels and and ruby red lipstick like I don't know ruby red. Is that is that what the kids are wearing today? I don't know. <laughs> I it's certainly like, wear ruby red lipstick sometimes. Okay. So yes. <laughs> okay, great. Wonderful. Um, like you know, this this has the you know there's there's enough ingrained femme phobia in 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 academia and, uh, to to for that to cast you as um, as not you know not prepared or looking not smart, not intelligent. Um, which is a huge problem just, you know, for cis and trans folks. So, you know, so clothing is something that, you know, I just struggled with so much, especially kind of the first time I did the job market. I, you know, stressed so much about clothing and I was also identifying more as trans feminine, not, not, not as a trans woman, um, and I just did not know what to wear and would look for things. And I was still myself um, trying to figure out how my presentation would be. Uh, so, you know, it's and there's a point and, you know, when I went to a conference and I was kind of complaining about something in my advisor, like about kind of misgendering and my advisor remarked something. Uh, to me, we were at this conference together about how I wasn't really presenting them, but then like I was kind of annoyed by that. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm calling out my advisor on this podcast, but like whatever, he's great, and she would do me on do the same to me on a podcast. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, have, we, have a, we have a good like working relationship. Um, Sounds like it. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then they, and so like. For instance, I went to, I, I decided to go to ASA, very much more femme, and it was also something I just, like, also was racking my brain over and, and worried about, and it, I mean, it turned out fine, and, like, everybody was very, very nice and cool, but, you know, that, just this kind of stress of, of clothing is, 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 you know, I don't, I think at the end of the day, Karen... Kelsey in the book says something like just wear what you're comfortable with but you can't really do that you can you right. have to you have you have to conform to these norms of um, of cult, of clothing which tend to be much more masculine um, and if you're a trans woman um, then a lot uh, or trans feminine or femme at all, the challenge is like balancing this masculinized clothing, but also feeling comfortable in the kind of clothing you usually wear, whether that's even, I mean, whether that's femme or, or whatnot. I mean, if it is femme, then how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you work that in? And so, yeah, like clothing was really, really stressful on, on, on what to do. And there were, there was at least, you know, at least one, at least at least two. I want to say emergency trips to the mall 
Oh. <laughs> Just yeah. About what to do. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, it's not, you know, it's, I heard a story recently about, um, in political science, uh, an older uh, black professor woman uh, who talked about how she wore, like, the best possible, like, formal looking, you know, sort of business suit that she, you know, I don't, I don't know if it was a skirt or pants, but like a very nice um, outfit to conferences because she's a black woman and she has to like in or like yeah. in order to have that level of being taken seriously. Whereas, and I've experienced this at the conferences that I go to too. White men show up literally in t-shirts and jeans uh, and at conferences and can like yeah. get away with it, and mm-hmm. it's enraging. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. so you know that that definitely crosses lines of of different kinds of marginal positions. Um, and so yeah, that's. Uh, Mel, do you have any other words on clothing? No, no, you all said it all. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for checking in, though. Um, we're running a little bit, uh, a little bit close. So I, we, we want to get to our sort of like, you know, maybe sort of advice for both trans and cis uh, folks. So mm-hmm. I want to sort of bring it back to the fact that you, Alex, like set a boundary and practice self-care in a way by literally stopping an interview that was not good for your well-being. Mm-hmm. So do you want to sort of expand on how you found the, because that's a really like brave and courageous thing to do to like, I mean, for anybody to mm-hmm. to, to stop an interview, an on-campus interview. So I think it's incredibly amazing and awesome that you did that. And so I don't know if you want to like sort of elaborate more on on the the process of doing that and, and maybe anything else that you would want to want you know other trans academics on the market to to know for prepping or or like come self-care after (laughs) after interviews yeah for sure yeah i mean so what happened in this interview that was at this university um with that search chair that i called george uh i um it was at one point where um you were talking to somebody else who was i think the chair of another section who asked oh how's the visit going and we had already had to sit down george and another faculty member about how the misgendering was and how i just felt humiliated and whatnot and and so we talked about it and then we went to this other thing and and this this other chair says oh how's the interview doing and then george kind of rehashes this and kind of just like and this sort of defines the interview at this moment and so it just it uh, obviously the this is not going to be a good place to work. Um, you know, I'm not, I am not looking to work here. <laughs> so I just turn to him and go, you know, it's, uh, this is, this is over. Just take me back to the hotel. Um, I, you know, this is, this is not going to work. Um, I don't want the job. And, and they, uh, you know, tried to keep me to stay. They brought, um, these two faculty that had been um, walking me around, who were both, who were actually both women and actually both women of color, um, and they were trying to, you know, get me to continue on. And, and but at that point, the damage had been done, and and, right. and it was. Um, and I had hoped, uh, you know, this interview would be a better experience because it 
was in a very large city and a very diverse place, a very racially diverse place. So you'd imagine there are, you know, a non-trivial number of trans or gender non-conforming students that they have and also right. other staff, potentially faculty. And so it just seemed incredibly, just incredibly ignorant on everyone's part. Um, and I did try to follow up with their Title IX office who... Um, who, who gave me a very covering their ass kind of statement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, but I think, like, you can leave. Like, you don't have to take a, this kind of job. And I, it's, it's, I've, you know, I have the privilege to have a number of interviews, but if, 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 if something like that is happening on a job interview, then that doesn't really bode well for how the department is. You don't right. probably don't want to work there anyways. Um, so it's a hard situation. I mean, people need to, I mean, trans folks should make their own judgment if they can, they can afford to leave the job or not. I have the privilege that I had a number of interviews and could. Uh, but you no, know, exit is also, um, exit is an option. Uh, just advice for other trans folks. It's, I mean, it's, 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 it's hard. It's, I think, advocacy is is going to be necessary, and uh, and it needs to be advocated. And this kind of advocacy needs to be done not only by trans folks because that takes a lot of emotional labor, but also right. by cis folks um, who are, you know, interested and. And, and want to do right things by trans faculty um, and, 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 and any kind of part of the system, and not only just tenure track faculty, but contingent faculty and, and grad students and, 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 and work to make this environment better for folks. So that means that incorporating things like pronouns into the, the job process, the, the application, um, into... Um, talking to other colleagues about it and then just being on the market I think like kind of anything that trans folks have to go to including getting healthcare or changing documents <laughs> or ooh, dog sorry dog <laughs> <laughs> uh, but any part there's so many different parts of official dumb uh, that trans folks have to go through that cause so much stress and, and, and I mean Having having communities there is so important. And one of my best friends, uh, academic friends, is another trans woman, and we we just talk about everything in terms of um, academia and, and what happened. And having having the, that community is really helpful. And in, in, in practicing self care, where you can step back and talk to those people and, and get and get what you need and get the support you need, I think is very important. Um, because it's a hard process, and and um, whoever whoever you are, um, but talking to those friends that really connect with is 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 super important. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, um, I think we want to ela- try to elaborate a little more on um, what you you know sort of generously offered that that some cis folks can do, and just from Melody and my experience trying to do that work as allies slash accomplices uh, to, for trans students and um, coworkers. 
Um, so you talked about pronouns, uh, which as we mentioned earlier, we, we try to instill in our, in our workspaces. Um, Mel, what else can we do as cis, cis academics? Um, well, I guess I have to say this, but to use the name given by the candidate or the, you know, person you're working with and like, don't ask any questions about it. Like if they say their name is Tina, then their name is Tina. Um, and then use that name and gender pronoun. Um, Let's see. You can also tell candidates, like if you're, so if you're running like a job search, like tell candidates where bathrooms are and also like let them know where gender neutral bathrooms are. So like on my campus, we have all gender bathrooms that are clearly marked. And so just letting people know where they are. They're usually, I mean, it depends how your school's laid out, but oftentimes they're like kind of right next to the gendered bathrooms. Um, Mm -hmm. But also like trust that they that people know which bathroom they want to use. Like don't point out like this is the men's room for you. You know, just be like these are where mm-hmm. all where the bathrooms are plural. Right. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> this is you would think people would know not to do this, but um, don't ask questions that you wouldn't ask a cis person. So don't ask about what kind of surgery somebody's had or about somebody's genitals because guess what? You wouldn't ask anybody else that. So don't be a total transphobic jerk. Um, <laughs> and just in general, um, easier said than done. In general, like, right. Yeah. Um, I think in general, and Alex, please obviously jump in if we're messing anything up. Um, but I, I, I don't think that they're unless they're, unless they bring up their identity as a trans person like you we don't always go around talking about our identity categories on job interviews so don't like ask about them being trans unless they bring it up because like you wouldn't necessarily ask about somebody's experience occupying any other identity position unless that was relevant to the conversation um i'm I'm gonna start doing that so what what is it like to be a straight white cis guy can you explain that to me (laughs) a little bit more Yeah, I just don't know. know. So weird. I don't know either. It's so weird. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff is just like, I mean, this shit's trans one on one type of stuff. Like, it's just like, you know, don't be an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) um, But it's, you know, I'm trying to think of things that are would be relevant for folks in academic positions, like, you know. Don't, you know, trip of, of if their name on their CV for some stuff mm-hmm. is, like, different than the name that they're using in the application, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, don't about, don't ask about, like, transness, um, if it, you know, if it doesn't seem, it, like, in the context of, like, academic work, if it doesn't apply, I, I don't do any work on gender or sexuality, and I know many people who are trans do, but I don't like at the current time I don't and so it's not relevant to really if you're talking about my academic work it does it doesn't like it does it doesn't make sense to talk about my transness if you you wouldn't like introduce you know me in a talk and be like Alex's work is on this also she's a big trans woman or like for lack of you know Mm -hmm. You could also use a slur there, um, but it, you know, which I would really hope no, no one ever does. But you know, that's that. You know, yeah. Don't bring it up if it's not relevant. Right. It's a great. Yeah. Point. Totally. Um, yeah. 
Well, we uh, any any other sort of final thoughts on that before we finish up this, this segment of the show? I'm good. Alex, this is Melody. She her pronouns. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm solid. Alex. She her pronouns. I'm see, solid. See, you just like whip it into Super sentences. Easy. It's like. Yep. Some of my friends are like super good about it. They'll be like, oh, yeah, my friend John, he, her, or he, him, uh, blah, 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 like just adds it into the yeah. name. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. It's just like, there that's you nice. go. Yeah. I also feel like another thing that's, um, that has become almost like, I will say, if I don't know somebody's pronoun for sure, I just say they, yes. like, always. Yeah. I mean, not, not to, unless they've told me, like, but, but if I don't know and I'm talking, to somebody else about somebody I'm like and they and people you know some people still get confused because they're mm-hmm. like well what do you mean were there more than one person I'm like no no but I just don't know their pronouns so I'm just gonna say mm-hmm. they right now so it can be so right. simple and you can just start to learn at a second nature so um yeah so anyway we hope we hope this was helpful we're so grateful Alex that you were willing to rehash uh some clearly not fun experiences we we really appreciate that and I know it's going to be super helpful to to some of our listeners both trans and cis who who need to hear some of that stuff so whether yeah, it's thanks for having me yeah totally um we'd love you to stick around for our final segment of the show which is our rwling we'll show you how it's done we just really quick say what we're reading watching listening to so okay. are we all ready? i'm ready oh okay. boy i think go. so no you go last we'll go so first. you have time so, to like yeah. come up okay. with you have time to think know. okay yeah, yeah. Okay. we never really see now you go the other awesome thing is we never really prep our guests. We just tell them they're doing it. And so they have to yeah. be like, ah. <laughs> oh, great. you know, we could have told you about this like a week ago, but uh, yeah, oh. not my fault. Um, okay. okay. So I'm reading a book called, so you've been publicly shamed and it's a, this kind of like a pop ac- academic book by John Rosen. And it's about um, people getting shamed on Twitter. And so as a social media, media studies nerd, um, I'm really into it. And it's like, it's super, it's an easy read. Um, And so I've been really enjoying that. Um, I've been watching Snapchats of my brother, John, waiting on Justin Vernon from (laughs) Bon Iver. Thank you very much. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm a huge fan. Waiting and, like as a waiter. Yes, he because my brother works Got at it. the airport. Whoa. My brother works at the airport, and so he often like gets regional, you know, rock stars. Because um, right. right. he right. works at like a wine bar, um, and so and of course I'm like texting him. I'm like, oh my god, you met Justin Verdon? Like, what did he say? What did he say? And he said, all he said was, oh, he told me nice things because he's such a nice guy. And like, will not give me details. I'm like, I need a full script, like, you know, from beginning to end (laughs) and he will not oblige. So that's fine. Um, I was also watching um, an old SNL clip with Kate McKinnon, my girlfriend. Um, She was uh, doing an impersonation of uh, Billie Jean King from the old, the tennis player. What did I, what? No, no, I'm just saying, okay. Okay, I thought I screwed something up, um, as I tend to do. Okay, so anyways, my brother wants to buy a Subaru, and I was like, oh yeah, the lesbian car, and he didn't didn't get that reference, so I had to, like, give him a reference, um, and so I chose that Mm -hmm. one, because she drives a Subaru in the skit. She's like, I'm going to go and run him down with my Subaru, and it was... uh, (laughs) 
So that That's was great. good. And then I'm going to start listening to this podcast about the Jacob Wetterling case here in Minnesota. It was like a boy who was missing for a long time um, and is like now dead. And it's made probably national news, but it's a big deal here. But our local NPR station started a podcast. And I think they're just going to rip off what Serial's doing. So I just want to check yeah. in and see like what's going on. Because um, as a podcaster, I'm just trying to track like podcast right. trends um also always salty when major radio stations release podcasts because because i'm independent um and anyways tmi yeah. okay i'm done cool cool Great. um i finally got back to some pleasure reading it was about a month or so before since i had just been prepping for classes and stuff that i had not been able to pleasure read um, and I'm reading a book called Dirty River, uh, let me get the name after the colon, A Queer Femme of Color Dreaming Her Way Home, mm. by Leah Lakshmi Pipenza Samarasina. I think I, I think I said all that right. Um, she's actually a Toronto gal. Um, mm. Yeah, and she's uh, one of my faves. She is sort of a protege of Amber Holaba, who is my absolute fave. And um, it's really, it's, it's a lovely, great book, and I'm loving it. I'm, I'm obsessed with queer femme memoirs like all I want to read ever so I'm reading that um and I'm watching I didn't I'm usually like a zone out with television in the evening Mm -hmm. but I haven't really done that this week we've been trying to unpack so not a lot of tv um the most recent thing I watched online is this like video spoof of a queer theory reading group of just like hilarious things that people who like queer theory say to each other and like sort of like call each other out on and it's just very funny it's like a funny spoof i'll link it in our in our website um and i'm listening to um various podcasts and um the fall always makes me want to play uh like more like i don't know i've been listening to this band called sports a lot i don't i don't know how to describe them i'll just link them are they like indie rock do you go into your indie rock like folksy Um, moments or no it's like it's like it's it's my it's like that favorite genre of music that I never really know how to describe. It's oh, like okay. kind of like dreamy indie rock that's inspired by folk punk. So you can tell yeah. these like women were in the punk scene, but they like make cutesy music instead. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that like twee so, stuff. Yeah, is that twee? Uh, it's a it's not quite. It's a little like grungier than twee. <laughs> okay, okay. Twee is a little more cutesy. Okay, I'm really trying to stay up on these yeah. trends, so I appreciate. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's my RWL. Alex? Oh, okay. So RWL. So I've been, I haven't read it in a while. I need to get back on it. Is I've been reading an Ursula K. Le Guin novel. Mm. Um, so, and I just, Wikipedia is apparently, it was her first novel. It's called Raconin's mm. World. Um, and it's just, it's actually rather short. It's like a hundred pages or so, but it's in this, um, three novel volume um and i'm about two-thirds into it but i haven't really been able to get through um through much of it uh i should read more of it uh watching uh so i'm watching both the women's flat track derby association cool <laughs> which is roller, roller derby totally um the the playoffs are the playoffs have been the past few weekends, and I bought a viewing pass for all um, six playoffs plus the seventh cool. chance. Mm-hmm. So, 
spending a lot of time watching roller derby <laughs> uh, as a as a roller derby player and announcer and former coach myself. <gasps> and, cool <laughs> trivia, yes. Alex trivia. <gasps> Alex Trivia for all your <laughs> trivia nights. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I've also been re-watching The Wire. I just mm. was inspired. So yeah. I re- been, I'm on. I, yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> I'm still I'm doing it. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, yep. And, and, um, and then and listening. So uh, primarily... I, you know, I'm really bad at listening to new music, but um, Carly Rae Jepsen's latest uh, album, Emotion, has a B-side that came out. Yeah? <laughs> so Tell us more. Oh, I, I just been listening to it. I haven't really been paying attention to the songs. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm always looking for new good pop music because I teach like a fitness class here and I always need good new pop songs. So I'll check that out. Yeah, Carl. You know, Carly Rae Jepsen's catalog is vast. It's true. And I feel like <laughs> listening to her will just make me a better Canadian. <laughs> you know, Perfect. You need to work on that. Oh, and yeah. I've also been listening to like I'm addicted to. I just can't look away. I'm just addicted to like podcasts that talk about the U.S. election horse race. And so mm-hmm. I love like I just listen to. I mean, I'm I love Five Thirty Eight. I'm yeah. like unabashedly love it, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they just released. They now they're publishing two two podcasts a week, and the first one is kind of the general one. But then the Friday one talks like more about the statistical model, and I just love that shit because I'm like totally. a big fan <laughs> So it's a, it's it's great, and I drive a lot now that I work like half an hour away. So mm-hmm. uh, so I'm always listening to them in the car. Awesome. What a great RWL. That's great. Great roundup. Yeah, yeah, totally. Good recommendations for our listeners. Wonderful. Yes. Cool. Well, so we end the show um, every week by saying WTF power, which stands for Women Trans Femme Power. So um, you're welcome to try. It might it might be because it might be awkward if you try to join us, but you're welcome to. So okay. should we all, let's try it. Let's try it all together. Okay. On the okay. count of three. Three. One. Two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're Can't even again. get the countdown. We need one person. Kind of, yeah. Okay. You go away. Mel, you count. Oh, shit. Okay, I'll do it. Okay. I got it. I got it. Okay. Wayne's World. Three. <laughs> two. One. W. W. T. R. Power.